Well, hey, everybody, welcome to Grace Life. Would you help me welcome all of our first-time guests, both online as well as right here in the room? So glad to be worshiping with you guys. Hey, you just heard the announcement about First Step. I'd like to give you a personal invitation. If you are new to Grace Life, you're a guest here today or have been a guest recently over the past few weeks, or you've simply never come to First Step, would love to meet you today. It's right after the third service, just down the hall in the room next door. We'll have free food, free childcare. I'll get to meet you, talk to you about who we are as a church, what we do, what we believe, answer any questions you have. If you're online, simply text First Step to the number they just put on the screen so we can send you a link. Would love to meet with you as well. Um, I won't be there in person, uh, but great video of me. There you go. That's what you get. And uh, our staff will be there to answer your questions. So hopefully if you're new to Grace Life, we can help you discover if this is the church for you and take that next step. Cool. Everybody doing good? Yeah. You guys excited? Yeah. Good. I am. We're starting something new today we've been looking forward to for a long time. As you can tell from around me, it's a series called Closer. And it has one very, very simple theme. It is about us learning to get closer to Jesus. Everybody in here would like to be closer to Jesus, right? So one of the things, though, that we're going to be doing this series that is different from uh, some of the other series we do is we're going to make sure that our life groups are going along with what we're doing on Sunday mornings. You know, in America, we have a lot of listening to preaching. Uh, we've got a lot of us that will go to church on the weekend. We'll hear a sermon. Most of us have a Spotify playlist and podcasts and things. We'll listen to preaching all throughout the week as we're driving our car and stuff. The question, though, is how often do we actually sit down with somebody and talk about what God is doing in our lives because of all of those sermons? Like, how often do we really apply them? And so we want to make sure we do something a little differently with this series, especially as we're talking about getting closer to Jesus. We don't want to just talk about getting closer to Jesus. I mean, you all get that, right? We actually want to get closer. And so that means getting into a small group of people. First of all, we need some great relationships, some people who will help us walk closer to God. And so we need those relationships. But then we can specifically talk about what we are learning, what God is speaking to us, what God is challenging us to do. And so if you come to a Closer Life group, uh, everybody gets a free copy of the Closer book written by Pastor Jeff Little, who will actually be here to preach the last message in the series six weeks from now. Uh, they're going to put a QR code on the screen, and you can simply click on that and see if you are a part of a Closer Life group already, see if the group you're going to is on the list, or also you can go ahead and sign up, as well as those of you here in the room in the lobby today on your way out, you can find a Closer group. That was a lot. Everybody good? Good. All right. Well, look, here's the reason we're doing this. I, I know we're in church and you may think, why do I need to explain doing a series on Jesus? But I want to remind us of some things that maybe they just become such second nature to us. Uh, but if, especially if you're a guest, maybe in church for the first time, uh, let me just remind us of some basics out there. No one ever has had the kind of impact that Jesus had in all of human history. Think back to your favorite historical figure, whatever, it is, whoever, whenever, nobody even came close to the kind of impact that Jesus had. No one has been as revered by those who follow him and even among those who don't. No one has been as loved by so many. No one has had such a great following both in terms of global reach as well as in span of time. I mean, think about it. There are more Jesus followers on the earth today then there were people on the earth when he walked the earth. That is the impact of multiplication that he's had over time, right? And so what we want to do during this series is really just ask the, the simple question, what does it really mean to follow Jesus? So that then hopefully we can all follow him closer than we are right now. You know, I think we would all like to actually say, I, I feel close to Jesus in, in our lives, right? 
Um, I, I can tell you when I was in college, it's when I really began my, I would call it the revival of my life. It was the time when I finally understood God had something more for me than the human life that I was trying to create for myself. And and I was just determined at that point I was going to get all I could from God. I think I literally became a Jesus freak. Um, if anybody knows what I'm talking about, I'm also going to date myself because when I was in college, the album Jesus Freak came out. Who knows what I'm talking about in the room? Come on, all the old people. There you go. Raise it. Yeah. And um, it was really cool because it was like the first Christian rap cool album and I had just put a subwoofer in my car. So I was cool. And uh, when I drove down the road, it was very cool. Anyway, the point of that is, it was, it was cool to be a freak at that point in time. And so I would hear stories of these crazy things God did if people really came after him and were really hungry. And some of the stories, we see them in the Bible, but I'd heard stories of this happening even in recent times of a theophany. That's the word for when like, God shows up in your world today, like he makes an appearance. And so I'd heard that that there were people who had had a theophany with God, and I decided, I'm going to have one of these. I'm going to have God show up. And so when I would drive in college, anytime no one else was in my car, I would keep the passenger seat completely empty to make sure that God could show up and, and ride with me for the two-hour drive from college to home and back and forth. And I mean, even if I had like a lot of stuff to carry, I'd put it all either in the trunk or the back seat. If I went through a drive-thru, I would make sure that the food was like stuffed between me and the seat and the, the little console because there's no way to say, God, I would love for you to show up. Just don't sit on my french fries. Y'all know what I'm saying? So, so I was determined I was going to have a, a, a theophany. And there were times I would go on a hike and because uh, I, I went to college in the mountains. And, and so I loved to, to, to be out in nature. And I would go and I would find a rock where I could just sit and, and pray. And I would make sure that there was like a a rock in front of me. And I'm like, God, this is you. I'm, I'm going to stare at this rock. I want you to come and sit here. Now, I have to tell you, I never had a theophany. It never happened. And uh, I'm still praying for it. And if it does, I'll be sure to let you know, I promise, right? My point, though, is, is there were times when I was doing that, sometimes driving my car and praying and talking to Jesus, sometimes sitting on a, a, a mountain, that it felt so real to me that Jesus was there. It, it seemed like the the natural and the, the spiritual world were colliding. Like it was just so, so real. And maybe some of you, you've had that experience where you feel that close. But I'll also tell you I had times where I didn't feel that. And, and maybe some of you have that story as well. Where there are times where you sit down to pray and you're just like, hello? I mean, God, did you like go on vacation? You know, like, where are you? Kind of like, what's going on? So look, we're in church right now. We're actually in a very crowded service. We talked about that last week. I want to encourage you. We do have other services. You sleep an hour later, come to the brunch service. Either that or sit beside someone you like. But back to the point. We're in church, and there's a statistical likelihood that the majority of people in the room right now would say, I'm a Christian. The majority of us would say, that means I'm a Jesus follower. Okay, so let me ask you this. If you're a Jesus follower, do you feel close to him? How much of it's up here? How much of it do you feel is real? How much of it is a faith step? And that's good. We take faith steps. But how much of it you would say, I, I feel like Jesus is there? Because I think everybody wants to feel closer to God. Like that's really the biggest struggle with our faith is making our faith feel more real in our lives. Would you agree on that one? And so that's really what we're, we're wanting to look at today is to just to begin the series with the idea of what can we do to experience Jesus more closely 
in our lives. And so I've got a story uh, with the disciples that I think will help us learn a, a thing or two. And it's in Luke chapter 5. If you want to go ahead and turn there, you can follow along. It'll also be on the screen right here. Um, but we're going to begin with this at the very beginning of this chapter, we see a, an example where it says, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, and I'm already going to pause, because I want to make a point very, very obvious to us. Crowds are following him. There is an attraction to Jesus. There's always a crowd following him. If you go back and you read the stories in Scripture, if he tried to get away to pray, people would chase him down. If he went into a house, they would come and surround the house. At this point, he's actually beside a lake, and they are pressing in on him so much that they are going to literally push him into the water. He has to get into a boat. In just a minute, we'll see that happen. And I know this is overwhelmingly obvious, and most people here would say, I don't even know why you're making the point. But I want to make sure we understand, for over 2,000 years, there's been an incredible attraction to Jesus. And what that means to us today is that I believe you're still surrounded by people who are attracted to Jesus. Because there are people who are hurting and wanting answers that only Jesus has. And I think that we would we'd find it a lot more likely than we realize. I think too many times we believe the lies of the devil that says you're weird and nobody wants what you have. That's a lie of the devil. I believe... Actually, the majority of the time, most people around you are attracted to the idea of Jesus. They're attracted to who he is, what he's done for them, and they just need someone to share that. And so here's the idea. What if we could actually get closer to Jesus? Because if we could get closer to Jesus, we could help other people get closer to Jesus. Are you all following that? Yeah. So I know it's obvious, but I want to make sure we understand one of the things that we can get out of this series is we can help the rest of this world who's looking for him find him. So here we go. Crowds are pressing in. He was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is also the Sea of Galilee, if you've ever heard of that. So it's the same one. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and they were washing their nets. They were over by the water doing what they needed to do. And then getting into one of the boats. And I, I'm sorry, I just got to be uh, real for a minute. I, I find things in the Bible really funny, especially the things that it says and sometimes the things it doesn't say. And because Jesus was a very real person and the people he interacted with were very real people, there's a, a, I think there's a little bit of the, the color of the story missing here. Okay, you got to realize this, these, these boats are empty. They've been pulled up onto the shore so they don't go away while the fishermen walk away and wash their nets. And Jesus just comes over and sits down in a boat that's pulled up onto the sand. And, and you can just imagine Simon's over there because it, it's Simon's boat, right? And, and so Simon's over there like, John. James, you see that? There's a dude in my boat. Anybody know that long-haired dude over there? I mean, what was that guy doing in my boat? I mean, imagine you go grocery shopping at Publix and you come out and there's a dude in your car. I mean, like, see, now the story's starting to get a little more real to you. So you can imagine how Simon was kind of reacting at this moment, like, well, what's that fool over there think he's doing up in my boat? They ain't going nowhere, man. We're not even on the water, right? And so he's getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And again, what would you do if the dude in your boat at public said, hey, can you take me to Pizza Hut? I mean, how are you going to respond? But the crazy thing is, Simon actually apparently does what he says. He like rose out. And so then Jesus sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now put out into the deep, means row out further, and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, seriously? Then he says, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. 
Now, something obviously happened during that time, and we're going to talk about that more in just a minute because of the incredible response that happens right there. I just want to give everybody a side note, though, before I keep going, because I might use a different name. Simon will get his name changed to Peter, and just because that's in my head, I'm likely to just start saying Peter, not anybody confused. This is the same guy that will walk on water. This is the same guy that'll tell Jesus he's not going to die, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, to him. You know, it's the same guy. Simon is Peter, Simon Peter, okay? And so, but what we really want to see here, we've already seen there's an incredible attraction to Jesus. What we want to see now was the incredible obedience to Jesus. Peter gives us two, two, not just one, two of the greatest examples of obedience that you could ever imagine. Because again, this is at the beginning of the story of, of Jesus walking and calling the disciples. Like, they don't know who he is. They don't know everything. So the fact that there is obedience here is just mind-boggling, right? So uh, imagine, like I said, you come out of your car, you come out of Publix, and, and somebody's in your car and says, take you to Pizza Hut. That's literally what, what Peter did. But we need to realize it was actually one step further. The very first thing that he did was he was exhausted when he rose out and allows Jesus to preach. I mean, he's been fishing all night long. So now it's not that you were grocery shopping at Publix. You have worked the night shift at Publix. You stocked all night like You started at 9 p.m. You straightened up all the shelves. You swept all the floors. You made everything pretty. Now the sun comes up. You are ready to go home. You come outside. And now you got to like, therefore, they got to wash their nets. You got to sweep the parking lot. You finish sweeping the parking lot. You're ready to go home. And this dude sitting in your car is like, no, I need you to sit and let me give a sermon to everybody that's about to show up and go grocery shopping for breakfast. But Peter does. So he rose out, he lets Jesus talk. I mean, we don't know how long he preached in this example. However, Jesus has been known to be a little long-winded. Anybody ever heard of the Sermon on the Mount, you know? I mean, so, so, I mean, so Peter's already just given him free reign. Like, I'm just going to go row it out there. And uh, now that your boat, my boat is your stage, I I'm kind of stuck. And he's going to let him preach the whole time. But then something obviously began to happen in Peter. Because after he has done preaching, and he's like, okay, let's go back in, he gets his oars and he's ready to row Jesus is like no, no no don't go that way go that way I, I want you to go over there and put your nets down for the second time in the story Peter gives us an incredible example of obedience to Jesus and you got to realize the components of this he obeyed Jesus despite his experience um, Jesus we just did that there are no fish there right now I was just there all night. Like, my experience tells me this is a waste of time. This is not going to work. But he obeyed Jesus despite his experience. He obeyed Jesus despite his natural knowledge. Jesus, this is not the best time to fish. That's why we fish at night. That's why we go and sleep right now. Like, that's not the right place. I've got experience telling you that, man. I've got knowledge. This is not the best time. Shouldn't be doing that. But he obeyed Jesus despite his experience, despite his knowledge, and despite the inconvenience. He had just washed all of his nets. Now he's actually going to have to wash them again. If he catches fish, he's going to have to wash them again. If he catches trash and not fish, he's going to have to wash them again. Like everything in him is like, why would I obey this guy? But he does. He obeys Jesus despite the experience that he has, despite the knowledge that he has, despite the inconvenience that it's going to be. Everything that Jesus asked Peter to do was a contradiction to what he knew and understood. I want you all to hear this. If we want to follow Jesus closely, Sometimes we're going to have to set aside what we think we know and understand. It's the only way we're going to follow as closely and see the kinds of things that they saw. We're going to have to set aside what we think we know and understand. So they did. 
Let's keep going in the story. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and they filled both the boats so that the boat began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. See, Peter figured out something that, well, we don't know if the others figured it out, but they didn't vocalize it. They didn't say anything about it. But Peter said something about it. This is not just a dude with a knack for fishing. It's not just a dude with a hunch on where to put the nets. Something with supernatural power has collided with the natural. He didn't understand it all yet, but he knew at that point he was in the presence of someone who was great, someone who had a power, someone who had an authority. It says, for he and all who were with him were astonished. They were all astonished. What we see here is the demonstration of the power of Jesus. Why? See, this is the result of that unquestioned obedience. When you simply do what Jesus says, even when it doesn't seem to make sense. And here's the thing we miss. If we want to experience that same kind of power in our lives, if we are going to do what Jesus says and get close to Jesus, then we can experience the manifest power of Jesus and everybody will take notice, right? It said all were astonished. But if we want that, then we can't leave out those steps. If we want to see the kind of power demonstrated in our lives that Peter is seeing demonstrated, we're going to have to give up what Peter gave up. Did you see the two things he gave up? He gave up control and he gave up understanding. You see, we can't have control. We can't do what we think. We have to do what Jesus says. We cannot do what we want. We have to do what Jesus says. And we cannot do what everybody else says is cool or right. We have to do what Jesus says because... The simple reality is either you are in charge or Jesus is in charge. It's not 50-50. It can't go both ways. We have to give up control. And then the second one is understanding. Now, now, now follow this. I know some of you, this is a newsflash, but God knows more than us. Only a couple of you found that funny. Y'all are offended at me. But seriously, God knows more than us. God's perspective is perfect. Ours is corrupt and distorted. What God sees is perfect, you see. And God has power over the world, even over our correct understanding. I need y'all to hear this, because too often when we decide if we're going to obey God, we, we think, well, I'm not sure how this could work out, so it may be I'll do what God says. But then there are times where we're like, well, I know that I know it's no good. I, it's no, it won't do any good, right? We've all had those stories. It won't do any good to do that because it couldn't. Listen. We are going to have to set aside our absolutely true, correct understanding sometimes in order to see a supernatural God move in our lives. Because Peter absolutely knew there's no fish right there right now. Definitely not enough to sink a boat. And yet, you see, people knew that they knew that they knew that Lazarus was a dead man. Because he was dead. You know why they said he was dead? Because he was dead. Because he was dead dead. Four days dead. Like smelling dead. But God is stronger than that. And you may say, well, well, I just know that my marriage is over. Well, I just know that. Well, I just, we're going to have to set aside something that is actually even true in our little natural world to allow a supernatural God who created it simply by speaking to come and show his power over what we know is true. If we want to experience that. Here's the reality. No one who has to be in control and has to have full understanding will ever be able to get this close to Jesus. You want to be close to Jesus? 
You're not going to be able to be in control of everything and have full understanding of everything. Let's jump to verse 10. Remember, Simon has just fallen on his knees and he's freaking out. So Jesus said to Peter, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Look, I just want to make sure we don't miss this because most people do. We think the idea to reach the lost, we call it the, the Great Commission. And if you read any of the gospel stories, the Great Commission is like the last thing Jesus says before he goes to heaven. So we think it's the last thing for us to do. We, we wait till we've read the whole gospel. We get to the end of the story. Matthew, the book of Matthew has 28 chapters. You know when Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples? Chapter 28. And so we get this idea that like, well, once I've gone to church for a while, once I know a few Bible verses, once I've dealt with my bad habits, once I can have some good answers to their tough questions, then I can invite somebody to church. Then I can talk to somebody about Jesus. Once I get it all together, I will do that. But what we actually see is one of the very first things Jesus ever did. Matter of fact, before he has even told them to follow him and they've even agreed to follow him, he's already told them, you've got a purpose for your life. There is a reason that you are going to be following me. There's a purpose that is given to my followers from the very beginning. It's not for us to wait. Look, I had it, when I was writing my sermon, I had a, a memory come to mind that I wanted to share as an illustration because I knew it was a perfect memory, a, a perfect illustration of what this is. And so I had to gather some staff together and explain it because it was like a, a game I remember playing as a kid where somebody tags you and then you can't move. And the, the staff members who were younger looked at me and said, you mean freeze tag? Okay, so if you remember freeze tag, I'm happy for it. How many people remember freeze tag in here? There you go, all right? See, if you don't remember freeze tag, here's how it works. One person is it, and they run around and try to catch somebody. As soon as they, they tag somebody, that person is, is frozen. They can't move until they get tagged by somebody else. And so here's what happens. The people who have not been tagged are running around, and they tag you. And see, here's the thing. When you get touched in freeze tag, the whole game is then for you to go sit on the sidelines and watch everybody else. But that's the church game, isn't it? When you're trapped, when you're lost, and Jesus comes and touches you, you go sit and watch and say, well, let me figure out a few things. Let me analyze the game. Let me wait till I've memorized a few moves of how to touch and tag the best and how to not get, let me, let me get it all down. You know, maybe in about 20 years, I'll talk to my next door neighbor. You see, what we're called to do Believe it or not, freeze tag it new. Jesus created it. Jesus was the ultimate freeze tagger of all time. We're actually called to freeze tag because you don't have to have the answers. You don't have to have it all together. If you have been touched, your job is to go and find somebody stuck and touch them. That is all we're called to do is to play freeze tag with every person out there. The devil has already tapped and frozen in their situation in life. And we think it's last. You know, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Maybe one of the reasons we don't feel very close to him is because he's doing something and we're not doing the same thing. Freeze tag, y'all. Let's finish the story. So we've got an attraction to Jesus. Then we've got an obedience to Jesus. We see power of Jesus because they obeyed him. We see that he gives purpose to those that he calls. There's only one appropriate response, and we see it right here. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything. They left everything. And they followed him. I want you to think about this. For us, that's no big deal. Their boats cost as much as your car. I mean, it, it was a monetary value that they walked away from. 
Their boats were their job, their livelihood, their purpose up until this minute. And they were willing to abandon everything and just start walking. Say, I don't know where we're going. I don't Please follow me on this. They didn't know what you and I know. These guys left everything to follow this guy that just sat in their boat. They did not know he was the son of God yet. They did not know he would die on the cross for them. They did not know the kind of punishment that he would go through in his body, the excruciating pain. They did not know they would have their guilt and shame removed. They did not know they would have eternal life. They didn't know anything and they were willing to give up everything. So let me ask you, since we actually know who he is and what he's done for us, why do we struggle to give up whatever he asks us to give up? Why is total abandonment for the the one true God, the King of kings, the one who died in our place, the one who took the punishment, you and I, we can't even imagine and thank God we will never see it played out in our own lives. Why do we struggle to totally abandon maybe a job, maybe a career, maybe a little money, maybe a bad relationship? Why do we struggle to totally abandon? See, here's the reality. Every one of us wants the kind of stories we read about in the Bible Every one of us would love to have, like, we go to work, we put the nets in, we get so much money it sinks our car. That's, the, that's how that story, that's played out modern day. Your employer says, I got a bonus for you today. You get paid so much that the gold crushes your car, right? You'd be like, that's okay. I'll buy a new car. Give me enough gold to crush my car. I'll buy. See, we all want these kind of stories. We want to walk on water like Peter. We want Billy Ray Joe Bob to come out of the grave four days later after, you know, our cousin Bubba's dead, right? You know what I mean? That's, we, we want these stories, we got to get close to Jesus because the people in those stories, they were close to Jesus. And so I want to ask you today, you're never going to have to share this answer. I don't know, maybe in your life group, y'all can talk about it, but you don't have to. 10 being super close and one being, I couldn't imagine being further away. How close do you feel to Jesus? What number would you give yourself? As we wrap up today, what I want to do is help you evaluate why you're at the number you just gave yourself and to see if we can move that number a little bit. Because I would imagine everybody here wants to move that number, right? If you didn't give yourself a 10, you want to move that number, right? If you gave yourself a 10, I'm going to sit down, y'all come up and fin any 10s? Yeah, I didn't think so. I don't give myself a 10. I just got the microphone, so I'm going to keep going. You see, what Jesus is calling us to do in order to feel close to him is to actually follow him. And there are some steps that we can take to follow him. And some of us, we've maybe missed the very first step. Some of you have maybe taken this one. It's recognizing that Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is your Savior. You see, at some point, if you've never heard this explained, let me explain it to you. At some point, every single one of us is going to have to go and stand before God. Our human life will come to an end, and we will give an answer for this life. And you may be working really hard to be a good person and thinking that that's going to be the correct answer, but it's not. The correct answer isn't that you tried hard to be good. The correct answer isn't that you never buried anybody in your backyard. The correct answer isn't that you made a lot of money and gave it all away. The correct answer is, is nothing. The correct answer is not that you went to church every weekend. See, what every one of us is going to have to deal with is the fact that our God is a perfectly holy God. And none of us are. Because every single one of us had at least one thought or did one thing or said one word or had one action that wasn't godly. 
Maybe it was that one really bad day in third grade, but you've been an angel ever since. Truth is, for most of us, it's been at least every day. Something every day. And, th- and there's no answer for that because, see, here's the deal. God perfectly holy, line, anything not perfectly holy. We spend way too much of our lives trying to judge, like, close and pretty good and sliding scales. It, it, it's, this is not various shades of gray here. There's perfectly holy and there's not. And you and I will have to look at God and say, I'm not. And the only answer is Jesus. Because there is not enough good you can ever do to erase ungodliness. You can't erase ungodliness. But the blood of Jesus can cover your account of ungodliness as your Savior. See, every one of us at some point needs to recognize we don't have that answer. And we receive what Jesus did when he died in our place on the cross. If you haven't done that before we leave, I'm going to help you take that step, the first step of following Jesus. Now, once you have made Jesus your Savior, then the next place where he's calling us to follow him is as our Lord, as his, he is our Lord, as King. Now, please, don't anybody here think that I'm preaching a heresy. Those two should not be separated, and I'm not trying to say there are two steps to salvation. What I am trying to say is I've never met a Christian who did not struggle with making Jesus Lord. Like, it's easy to have a Savior. It is hard to surrender. Every person I've ever talked to, even if the day you got saved, you said, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. Matter of fact, that's my story. Can I just tell you? I grew up going to church two to three times a week until I was 16 years old. I was in church all the time. So I knew who Jesus was. I believed Jesus was real. I believed the stories in the Bible. I even liked the idea of Jesus. I had just never decided to deal with my need for a Savior. And I didn't want anybody else to be in charge of my life. I wanted to be my own Lord. When I was 16 years old, for the first time, I finally recognized I have a sin problem I don't have an answer for. I don't know why, other than the fact it was just the Holy Spirit working at that moment that I felt the need to deal with something I had never dealt with 16 years earlier. Maybe it was because now I had a driver's license and I drove like a fool. I mean, I'm an aggressive, fast driver. I'm just better at it now. And so maybe I thought I was going to go see Jesus soon. I don't know. But at that point, I'm like, I got to deal with this. I've got no answer. And, and it was not in church. It was actually at an FCA retreat where I gave my life to Jesus. I said, Jesus, will you be my Lord and Savior? And at that moment, I know that I was forgiven. I know that I was going to heaven. I know that his blood was enough to cover my sins. But you know what else happened? As I went right back to living a normal life and being selfish and saying a mean thing to somebody who said something mean to me and and whatever the story is. You see, everybody that I know, we have to choose to surrender. It's a process over time of actually saying, Jesus, I'll do what you say. I want you to catch this. I'm going to take you back to this one line in the story. I told you we would talk about it more. It was Peter's response when they caught all the fish. Well, I'm sorry. After Jesus had talked before, they caught all the fish. Look at this. It's in verse 5. He says, Master. And I just want to stop right there for a minute. He didn't say, cool preacher, dude. Weirdo got in my boat. Person I don't know. Somehow, in between... What are you doing in my boat? And while Jesus preached, something happened inside of Peter. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly what happened, but clearly the Holy Spirit had begun 
working in his heart. Something had happened because at this point, Peter has already decided, whatever you say, I'm doing. I call you master. In our world, we don't take words as seriously if we just all be honest about that. I mean, even as Americans, we don't all make A's in our native language class, you know, that kind of English, y'all know what I'm saying? And we, we just kind of throw words around sometimes. They didn't. They were very intentional with words. They would never give another person the title master if they weren't volunteering to fulfill that word. This is a big deal. Master. Most of us have never even said that word. Lord, from this point forward, you're my Lord. I'm not anymore. So his response was, well, now that you're in charge, we've toiled all night. We've already done this and we took nothing. But at your word, I will. You'll get that? I mean, many of us would say, I'm forgiven. I'm going to heaven. But how many of us would say, but at your word, Jesus, I will. Just say it. But at your word, Jesus. Jesus says, forgive, I'll do it, no matter how I feel. How many of y'all will forgive no matter how you feel? Like, I mean, that's, that's a struggle, isn't it? Jesus says, give, I'll do it, no matter how much I want to keep that money. Jesus says, do something, I'll do it. If Jesus says, stop something, I'll stop something. If Jesus says, pray, I'll pray. If Jesus says, because you're Lord, I'm following you. As a Jesus follower, you are my Lord. You say it, I do it. Like, can I just ask you, a, like, evaluate your life for a minute. Where are you struggling to just do whatever Jesus has said? Let me ask it this way. Where have you not totally abandoned everything like the disciples did? You know when they left the boats and they left everything and they just said, okay, I'm following you, master. What part of your life have you not totally abandoned to Jesus? Let me give you this picture. Can you imagine one of those guys, James and John were there also. Imagine, imagine John, he goes back to his boat and he grabs his fishing net. He starts going with it. Jesus turns around, John, bro, what you doing? Well, I don't know how this thing's going to work out just yet, so I'm just going to keep my nets with me. But we're going to Jerusalem. Ain't no water there, man. Uh, I'll worry about that later. I'm just going to drag my, I, I'm keeping my net. I'm just, I'm, I, you know, keeping my net. Some of us, we've got some habits. We might have parked the boat, but we didn't leave it all behind. Some of us, we've got some thoughts, some beliefs some choices in life. Let me ask you, have you totally abandoned your career for him? I'm not saying don't go to work. I mean, God's given you a way to provide for your family, but who makes the career decisions, you or Jesus? How about your family? Do you treat each other as though Jesus is a part of your family? Would you actually need to change how you talk to your children, your parents or your spouse if Jesus showed up in your living room? Have you already changed, abandoned that? How about your finances? Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. So how many of us want to get more or give more? How about your home? Does your home look like a place where Jesus already exists? Have you totally abandoned some things that you used to do or watch? Like if Jesus showed up in your house, would you have to turn the TV off? See, I grew up here in the South going to church. And if you grew up here in the South going to church a few decades ago, it meant the pastor made visits to your home. How many of y'all were grateful I don't knock on your door and come and 
I had another pastor one time told me when he did that, he would go and just start talking to the people, walking to the kitchen and open the fridge. He said, you can tell everything you need to about a person by what's in their fridge. I mean, y'all just imagine, I'm like, yep, coming to your house today to look in your refrigerator. Y'all should be glad I don't do that. Back to the point, though. They would tell us, the pastor's coming to see you Tuesday evening. You know what we'd do Tuesday after school? We would clean everything up. We'd make it look different. We would put back on the clothes we wore at church on Sunday because that's what every kid wears to school. We would put out some snacks on the coffee table right beside the family Bible, dusted off. True story. I'm like, Mama, those snacks aren't there the rest of the time. What are we doing? And I don't wear a tie. If I wear a tie, will you put snacks out every day I come home? See, we had to become something different because the pastor was coming. Let me ask you, do you have to become something different if Jesus shows up or have you totally abandoned already for him? Have you totally abandoned for Jesus your moral choices? Because look, you need to know something. Jesus affirmed some things that are not popular in our world today. And I'm not going to be popular for saying them, but Jesus said it first. He affirmed that God made us male and female with no confusion. He affirmed that God puts us in male and female couples called marriage. And he affirmed that sexuality is for that marriage, not before and not outside of it. Have you given everything to Jesus when someone mistreats you? Jesus says, bless your enemies, pray for those who curse you. Have you totally abandoned your priorities for those of Jesus's? You know, he actually says, I just do whatever my father tells me. I do what I see my father doing. I just came to fulfill every word my father spoke. So I want to close with one more because you've probably heard preached that we need to follow Jesus as our Savior and Jesus as our Lord. And those are both true. We should fall on our knees so grateful for all that he's done for us, the death that he died, the things that we could never repay, the wisdom that he has. He is so worthy. We can fall on our knees and say, Jesus, you are the true King of Kings. But as you follow him, do not miss this one. That same Jesus that you kneel before is the same one that reaches down and lifts you up and says, I'm also your brother. I'm your friend. You want to go hang out? Hey, you know, I think I'm going to go to this wedding. They got a bunch of water. I'm going to turn it into wine. It's going to be so cool to watch everybody's face. My mom's going to make some awesome hummus. You should come and hang out. We're going to have us a great time. See, we miss the fact that Jesus actually wants to just hang out with you and have a relationship with you. Like when you are driving in your car and you, you, you pull into a place and the line is long and you go, oh, I hate long lines. But you're talking to yourself. Why talk to yourself? Because you're not alone. Why not say, Jesus, man, I hate long lines. You do something with these people? never hurts to ask because you're not alone you're not alone you you're right he's right there every moment I mean like when you're excited man look at that Jesus instead of just look at that I got a Facebook that somebody needs to see this somebody is seeing it with you you're not alone he wants to do life with you he wants to be a friend he wants to be your brother we miss out on being close to Jesus sometimes because we don't get to this part of following there's a true relationship here. He's not just somebody who came and lived 2,000 years ago and he's now sitting on a throne in heaven. No, he's, he's right here. The Spirit of Christ dwells inside of anybody who has taken that step of making him Savior. 
He wants to be close. So I'm going to leave you by challenging you with a question to answer. Everybody here needs to answer this question real simply. Where do I need to follow Jesus more closely in order to be closer to him? Where do I need to follow him more closely in order to be closer to him? See, the reality is for many of us, Jesus looked at you and said, follow me. And just like the disciples that day, he started walking and we didn't keep up. And we don't feel close to Jesus simply because we're not. But the good news is that is the easiest thing to change. Because the truth is he's never far away. And at any moment, all we have to do is say, Jesus, help me be close to you. The Bible says if we draw near to God, he draws near to us. The whole story of who Jesus is and what he came to do is to redeem, to fix what we've broken. And so if he started walking and you didn't keep up and you want to change that, well, let's just change it right now. Can I pray for you? Jesus, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for how close you are. We thank you that you have redeemed us. You died in our place. You have forgiven us as we just call on your name. We thank you that you give us wisdom and you know what is best. And if we could surrender to your leading, what a different life we could live. We thank you that you've given us purpose. We thank you that we're never alone. God, my prayer for every person here right now, as well as those watching online, is that they would experience this. God, that's our real challenge is to, to feel how real you are because you are real and you are close. Would you, would you make that more real to each of us today? Would you speak to each of us whatever is in our life that keeps us far from you? Just name it right now for every person. And God, we choose to set that aside, to lay that down so that we can experience closeness that we can feel close and be close to you. We thank you for how good you are to us. If you'll just stay in a place of prayer, I want to speak to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. As we explained earlier, every one of us has a problem with sin. We're not perfect, but God is perfect. The good news is that God loved us so much he solved the problem for us. He came and he dwelt among us. Jesus, he lived a perfect life he died on the cross, our death, so that his bloodshed, his body broken, would pay for our sins. It's called the free gift of salvation. If you have never made the exchange of the life you've been living for the one that he has for you, I want to help you do that right now. Wherever you are, simply say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now I choose to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. In my prayer today, would you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Would everybody help me celebrate with them?